I took the lead. Where's a good station? Somebody's heart. Glorious. Glorious. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again. Relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. My name's Bill, and this is the part where I usually say I'm here with longtime friend and Grace Guard Dog Steve, but unfortunately, Steve had a appendectomy and his appendix burst so he's in the hospital he had his appendix removed dealing with an infection but he's going to be okay and he's recovering now so our prayers go out to steve who's making a recovery because mrs presence here doing the podcast so on with the podcast though here we go i just asked father god thank you that you've given me your spirit. Thank you that you've given me a voice and a mind. And I pray and I just depend on your thoughts coming through today in this podcast because I don't really have any. To you be the glory, Father God. Give me the words and something that's edifying, that would be encouraging, that would build up faith in your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. In our last podcast, we were harmonizing Paul and James, specifically where James says faith without works is dead. That seems to put an emphasis on that if you do some work, God will move on your behalf because he'll see your faith and he'll reward you. Remember, James says, can such faith save us? And we went over it and demonstrated that Paul and James are actually saying the same thing. And it's actually not your faith, as Paul brings out in Galatians 2.15, 2.16, specifically 2, I think 2.16, knowing this, that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Christ the faith that belongs to Christ. So we too have turned from the works of the law so that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. And James is actually saying the same thing. Just because he says faith without works is dead, he's not talking about the works of the law to justify you. He's the point we made and the point I'll make again is the works, no matter what they are, they're kind of irrelevant what the works actually are. But these works are a demonstration of the faithfulness of God. The faith of God brought this belief, this trust in God. And the only difference between the two examples James gave, one was Abraham offering up his son, Isaac, he says this was a work 
that proved Abraham's faith. Well, that work took God 30 some years to bring about. So it was dormant faith, which was our third definition for the word dead. Faith without works is dead, or literally faith without works is dormant or inoperative. And in the other case of Rahab, her work was basically to lie. Now, Rahab's work was not dead. It manifested immediately. It didn't have a 30-year dormant time like Abraham's did. But both works were obviously not works of the law because, one, Abraham killing his son would be a violation of the you shall not murder. And Rahab's work to lie about the to the spies <laughs> would be bearing false witness. So obviously both of these would not be works of the law. They were just simply works that manifested the faithfulness of Christ for him to allow them to believe in his faithfulness. They were responding to the faithfulness of Christ. Abraham was responding after 30 some years of seeing God be faithful to his promise over and over and over again, in spite of the fact that Abraham kept screwing up, for lack of a better word, disobeying God doing what he wasn't supposed to do, not trusting, doubting constantly, going to plan B, on and on and on, whereas Rahab was immediately moved and immediately impressed with the faithfulness of God and the greatness of God. This allowed her to do something that took courage that no person has, to lie to these people, putting her own life in jeopardy. She was more impressed with the greatness of God than what these people could do to her for helping God's people. Abraham, when he did his act of faith, when he did his work, it was also to kill his son. Now, God never intended for him to slay Isaac. That's why immediately when he saw that Abraham demonstrated this faith brought on by the faithfulness of God's purpose, he immediately told Abraham, do not slay Isaac, I will provide. And God did provide a ram in the th- caught in the thicket, picture of Christ, the provision of Christ sacrificed for us. But Abraham was able to do something that no father could ever do to slay his own son, the son he loved, his only son. But Abraham did it because God had so worked his faithfulness into Abraham's thinking that Abraham was able to believe that even if he did slay Isaac, God could bring him back to life because he now had this 30-year record of God's faithfulness that that gave Abraham the type of faith to do the impossible. So we see that in James 1, and this was the point I, I really got from last week's podcast, we can consider it pure joy when various trials come our way or various tests of our way, knowing that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. And I got to bring this point out. It was not our faith and it wasn't, it definitely was not us being tested. Steve brought that out last week. It was not us being tested, but it was the faith that was being tested to see what kind of faith it was. Was it dormant faith or living faith? Living faith is the faithfulness of Christ. So the test that we're undergoing that we should consider pure joy is the testing 
literally of the faithfulness of Christ. And it actually says that in the Greek. In the NIV, it doesn't bring that out. But in James, we find it here, 1-1 one, one in the Greek. It's actually verse 3, James 1-3. I'm going to read it in a Greek paraphrase. Knowing that the proving of yours of the faith manufactures endurance. So we see it is actually the faith, not your faith. It's the singular faith, meaning the faithfulness of Christ, which corresponds to everything Paul taught about the faithfulness of Christ. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, or I do not frustrate the grace of God, literally. For if righteousness could be obtained through works of the law, then Christ died in vain. So once again, the faithfulness of Christ does not depend on your works of the law. So back to James, where it says in verse 3, the testing of your faith, the word testing is literally dokimon, and if you look up in a... Greek Old Testament under some of the Psalms, I'll read a couple to you, like Psalms 12, 6 says this, the words of the Lord are absolutely reliable, pure, tested, that's the word dokimon in the Greek, in a furnace seven times. So we have finished work number seven. They're complete. They're reliable. The faithfulness of Christ is reliable. And the psalmist says the words of the Lord are absolutely reliable, pure, tested. It's the same word in Proverbs 27, 21. It says, a crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. So you see that word crucible for silver is the word dokimon. Again, means a testing. That's the testing that silver undergoes to see its purity. That's the trials that you go through are a test, not of you, because you'll fail the test. They are the test of the faithfulness of God to see that it is pure. In fact, we are not under the works of the law, but we are to enter his rest. The one who has rested has what ceased from his works. That's why we know that it's not works that God is after, or he wouldn't tell us to rest, which would be ceasing from the works. But in Psalm 92, I believe it's 92, let me find it here. It is Psalm 92, and it is a psalm written for instruction on the Sabbath, which means rest, which means ceasing from your works. Once again, not to be redundant. Psalm 92 says, It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your works, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. Okay, so we see that in verse 1 it says, it's good to praise the Lord. Didn't we just read that? That a man is tested by his praise. He's tested by who he praises, who he gives credit to his works for. 
a man is tested. And when he goes, undergoes through those tests, he gives praise to God. That's why he's known he's tested by his praise. He doesn't say, thanks be to me. He says, thanks be to God, like Paul said. But in verse 1, it says, praise to the Lord. And Lord is capital, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which means it's the word Yahweh, I am. It's good to be sing praise to the I am and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love. In the Hebrew, it's literally hased, which we translate grace so many times, and your faithfulness. See, it's his faithfulness. It's not ours. It never was ours. It was always his faithfulness. And we're giving praise to his faithfulness here. And then he says to not only to give thanks, but bring out these stringed instruments and make music to the Lord. This is how you rest. You're resting from your works and you're praising God for his. Doesn't Paul say the same thing as the psalmist in Ephesians 5? Say like verse 19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Psalms, like Psalms 92 for one hymns, and spiritual songs, meaning songs that the Spirit puts in your heart, songs that the Spirit's produce, is a um, song from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, do you see how praising and giving thanks for His faithfulness is rest? We're not, we're resting from our works. When we're trusting in the faithfulness of Christ, we are resting from our works. So let me just share this with you. It's from Hebrews 10, and it was written to people that were going through some horrific trials. And they were undergoing trials for what we've been talking about. They were being persuaded to go back to the law to offer sacrifices for sin that were required under the law, which we can't do anymore because there's no temple and there's no Levites, but they were being pressured to go back to the law to offer sacrifices to the law, to be justified by the law, to be sanctified, to be set apart by the keeping of the law. And let me just tell you, the law can no more sanctify you than it can justify you. There is no hope in the Ten Commandments. The Apostle Paul said the Ten Commandments is the letter of death. It does not bring faith. It brings defeat and discouragement. And when you get a hold of this, what I'm trying to say today, you'll see that we have something so much better than the Ten Commandments. We have the risen life of the Son of God. God himself alive inside of you in his faithfulness. The law brings discouragement. Human effort brings discouragement and defeat and crushes any confidence you have in the faithfulness of Christ. So the writer of Hebrews is writing these Hebrews who undergone intense persecution because they're believing in the finished work of Christ. They're believing in his faithfulness and they're having their possessions taken from them, thrown in prison, tortured, all kinds of stuff to get them to return to a confidence in their works of the law. 
So here's what he said to them in Hebrews 10.34. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions, knowing that you yourselves have better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And then he quotes Habakkuk, but my righteous one shall live by faith. That's a quote right out of Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, where it says, the just shall live by his faithfulness. The just shall live by the faithfulness of God. Paul quotes it twice, once in Romans, once in Galatians. The just shall live by his faithfulness. And that's that's the point of the whole podcast. It's his faithfulness. It was his faithfulness that was being tested and tried in Hebrews 10. Not your faithfulness, his faithfulness. And his faithfulness always comes through. So don't throw away your confidence. Hold on to it. The, the word throw away is actually to toss out. Don't toss out your confidence. And that word confidence is an amazing thing. It's it's funny how you see people with unbelievable confidence and you're thinking, why? Why are they so confident? And then you, you see people that you think should have confidence and they have none. But we can all share in this confidence because this confidence is not in ourselves. This confidence is what Abraham experienced. After 35 years, he finally had confidence that God was able to do what he said he was able to do. Took him 35 years. And Rahab, she knew immediately that God was able to do it. She's heard about all the great things God did through it. Israel demonstrating the miracles, the 10 plagues. She saw all that. She heard about that. It was renowned to her. And it's the same today. We have confidence in the faithfulness of Christ. And my encouragement to you today is don't throw away that confidence. Hang on to it. God is faithful. That's what the psalmist wrote about. That's what the instructions for resting in Psalm 92 were all about. Don't throw away your confidence in the I am. Whatever you are not, the I am his. Whatever you lack, whatever you're not, he is. So when the test comes or when the trials come and they will, don't throw away your confidence because you are not being tested. Your faith is not being tested. Your ability to clench your fists and grit your teeth and muster up a belief that God is going to come through is not being tested. What is being tested, what is being tried, is the faithfulness of Christ, which is more precious than gold and precious than silver, like we read in those Psalms. They're being tested and tried to show you that they're pure and they won't let you down. So when these trials come, it is not you being tested. And that was James' point. James' whole letter is about the trial of faith, but it is the trial, the testing of the faithfulness of Christ. And Paul says the same thing. I want to look at a couple passages in 1 Corinthians and uh, maybe conclude in 2 Corinthians. Okay, in 1 Corinthians 12, 
Paul is talking about manifestations of the Spirit. And he says these manifestations of the Spirit are for the common good of the body of Christ. And he starts to list these. And they're almost identical to the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faith in Galatians. But in 12.9 it says to another the manifestation of faith. So it's the Spirit's faith, meaning it's the Spirit of Christ, meaning it's not your faith. That is the faith that's being tested. If you go down to verse 11, it says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So there we go again, another harmonization. I just made that word up. Of James and Paul. Paul is saying what James is saying. Paul is saying that there is different manifestations of the Spirit. And one of the manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit is faith. That's what James is talking about. That's what is being on trial. That's why you can count it all joy because you're not being tested again. You are seeing a manifestation of of the spirit of the living God at work inside of you. It's amazing this joy that can happen to you when you realize that Christ is at work inside of you, manifesting his faithfulness to God, manifesting his faith to the Trinity, manifesting his faith to his plan and his purpose of the ages, and it's being worked out inside of you. And it's genuine, and it's pure, and that's why it's tried and tested, so you can see that it's genuine and pure. So let's go to 2 Corinthians. I think it's 2 Corinthians 13. Paul is having a little issue with the Corinthians. These guys are saying, hey, Paul, how do we know Christ is in you? When you say Christ is in you, that's your doctrine. You say Christ is in us, but you appear kind of weak. How do we know that? Give us a test. So Paul says, you want a test? How about you take the test yourself? And then he says, know this, Christ appears weak when he's around other people. You guys appear brash and obnoxious in the way you treat other people. But Paul says, there's proof Christ in me is weak when it comes to other people. It's the same thing that happens when you're, you got 10 minutes to be somewhere, you stop in, you're waiting in the bank line, and you're waiting and waiting and some guy can't even get the little thing to go through the chute and like you're just pounding on your knees and you just had it and you get to the teller and you want to tell her off <laughs> tell the teller off if such a term but something gentle comes out of your your mouth and you ask her how her day's going you say you look like you're you're stressed you're having a hard time and you say something encouraging that's a test that Christ is in you. And that's what Paul's point is. He says, take the test for yourself. It's this dokimos word. Examine yourself. And it comes from a word to actually think. Think a minute. Why did I say a nice thing to that person? Because I'm aggravated to death. What made me say such a kind word and turn this girl's day around? I just passed the test. I, I realized that's what that word means. Thinking. It's, it comes from epinosis, something the Spirit reveals to you. He says, don't you realize that Christ is in you? 
unless you do the test wrong. Paul is not saying that you're not even a Christian if you fail this test. He's saying you're testing the wrong thing. Look for these responses that come out of you and you'll realize what Paul did. You'll realize, which is what he said, do you not realize Christ is in you? Do you not realize Christ is in me? Christ is strong and powerful, but it takes a strong and powerful spirit to be able to give gentle answers to people that sometimes don't even deserve it. So I hope that encourages you. I hope that you'll see that you're not being put through a test to see how you'll respond. You're being the faithfulness of Christ in you. The very thing in Psalm 92, they were giving praise and thanking as they were resting in the faithfulness of God. We're doing the same thing, but we're resting in the faithfulness of God inside of us. So is it becoming clear now that these trials are not testing you but they are giving you evidence that Christ is in you. They're giving you evidence that the life of God is alive inside of you, manifesting his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his faithfulness, self-control. And that's what that's why it's so important to see that James and Paul were on the same page. And Paul was saying, examine yourself, and you will see that Christ is in you. Unless, of course, you fail the test. Oh, no, there it goes again. He's not even a Christian. No, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, unless you, you will see that Christ is in you, unless you fail the test. It's, it's really, unless you t- test the wrong thing. You'll see that Christ is in you, and the reason is you'll be doing things that you cannot do yourself. The Spirit, as we say all the time, He gave us the Spirit to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. He gave the Spirit in you so you could give the person who doesn't deserve it a gentle answer. That person, when they get the gentle answer, they're seeing a manifestation of the Spirit of Christ. You are actually witnessing to that person. You're witnessing to the kindness and the patience and the joy and the patience of God, the patience of Christ, the faithfulness of Christ, you're being a living letter at that point. That's why I'm hoping, I know I'm redundant, I'm a man of simple words, but the best I can say is count it all joy. Don't throw away your confidence. It has great reward. Hang in there. Realize that Christ is at work in you. You're not being tested but you're seeing a manifestation of the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness of God. And I realize I closed a little earlier, but I do want to say this. Uh, Steve is in the hospital, and he's about to recover and get back, and so I'm flying solo on this podcast, and I'm just, I have no podcast skills at all, so I'm not even sure this is going to come out right. But what I want to say is pray for us. Help us out. Find us on Facebook. Find us on our webpage, guardinggrace.com. There's a place there where you can send emails and make comments. Give us suggestions. Uh, find ways that you can help us. You can donate, too. 
you know, you don't have to. There's all kinds of ways to help us out. But if you like the podcast, uh, send it to your friend. When you go on the Guardians of Grace, you can hit share and you can text it to a friend, email it to a friend, Facebook it to a friend. But that helps us. That blesses us. We love you guys. I'm just going to say a quick prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you that Christ is in us. Christ is in all the guardians of grace. And Christ is in everyone, but they may not know it. I thank you, Father God, that you loved us. You died for us. You resurrected us and put your spirit inside of us so we could do the things the spirit could do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Keep revealing these simple, simple truths to us, Father God. It's in your name and your faith we ask these things. Amen. Good night, everyone. Thank you.